happy 4th of July. Big day, right? Big day in our culture. We celebrate um, this place where this nation that God has um, gifted us to be in, and we're thankful for it. A um, couple things. We're going to be in, Ma- in uh, Acts chapter 8, if you want to turn there. Um, we're going to have the scripture on the screen, but if you want to also read, we're going to be, Acts 8 is the main passage we're going to look at. We're going to flip to Acts 11 also, if you want to put your finger there. Um, before I jump in, a couple things. One, uh, I think Jordan announced it, but Saturday, we've been doing some of these institutes this summer where we're doing like little courses or trying to equip people with things. Ariel and I are going to be doing one that we're calling Manuscripting the Bible, and as I thought about it, that could probably sound really intimidating or weird. Basically what it is, it is how to study the Bible on your own, not just reading it, but if you're wanting to get some skills on just how to notice and see some things in in the text of Scripture that just in reading you don't, um, we're just going to teach you some really basic skills. It's just going to be with a sheet of paper, some pens, and I love... I love taking a text and doing that, so if you're wanting to learn to study the Bible better, you are welcome to join us on, on um, Saturday morning. And one other thing, yesterday, Pat and I were, were doing the thing I think I least like in the world, which is pulling weeds. Does anybody like to pull weeds? I absolutely detest pulling weeds, but we thought all that rain, and it was still kind of cool in the morning, we thought these things will come out easy, and they did come out easy. I think the weeds were flourishing more than our vegetables, because the weeds... Even though we had weeded like a month ago, they were taller than almost everything we had except the tomatoes, but they came out pretty easy. Loaded them up with some limbs, took them uh, to, to get them uh, to the refuse, you know, the dump to unload it. And then afterwards, Pat had gotten a couple donuts and we're like, hey, let's go get a coffee and let's go home and have a coffee and donuts. So we did a quick run over to Starbucks, pulled in, got our coffee, and as we were leaving and turned left to, to go get on the highway to go home, I noticed there was a book laying in the middle of the road, in the street, and it had not been there when we had driven by. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. And I love books, and I'm like, man, if I lost a book, and if my name happened to be in it, I'd like somebody to get it to me. How you, I don't know how you get a book to somebody, but anyways. I, so I did a U-turn, pulled up, opened my car door, and got out, and the book that was laying there wide open was one of the New Testaments that we're going through. Isn't that crazy? It was one of the New Testaments, and it had obviously, I think, had fallen off a car. My guess is is that some small group, a triad, was meeting at IHOP. Whoever got in their car, I've I've never done this before. Stick something on top of your car, forget, right? Usually with me, it's something glass that breaks, but instead of a book, had driven off and it had fallen off. So if you're here this morning and you lost your New Testament yesterday after IHOP and are wondering where it is, I have it. And so come up. Uh, I was really curious. I'm like, well, they're obviously meeting. I'm wondering how they're doing. This wasn't like checking, but <laughs> I'm like, wow, they're, I mean, they're totally up to date. I mean, they're all the way up into Acts. So um, anyways, if you're here this morning and this is yours, come see me afterwards. Uh, maybe I should put a bounty on it. I don't know. Uh, okay, a quick question for all of you. Um, I'm really curious. Personally, what is the most difficulty that you have ever faced in your life because of your faith in Jesus Christ? And I'm meaning from people outside of you pushing on you. Personally, not, not stories of other people, but personally, what's the most difficulty um, you've ever faced? I'm asking that because this morning our topic is going to be persecution. And this week in our reading, persecution began to break out in the early church. We just saw in Acts chapter 7 this week, if you're reading along, Um, Stephen in his speech, and he was the first martyr. Saul shows up at the end of that chapter, and then Saul starts becoming really prominent prominent afterwards. He ends up becoming the apostle Paul. And so 
Um, I, several months ago, as I was looking ahead, I thought, I want to I address that issue of persecution. So if you have your Bible, you can look in Acts chapter 8. We're going to be in verses 1 to 3. If you want, you can follow us on the screen. And I will get this up and running here in a second. Here we go. There it is. So would you stand with me? I, if this is out of the NIV. So if you're following along in your Bible, you can do that, or if you can follow along the screen. But I'd like you to read with me, if you would. Can we read as a body? Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. And when it says, Saul approved of their killing him, it's talking about Stephen, who was just killed. So read with me. Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. That's pretty intense, isn't it? Pretty intense. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Yeah, that's, that's intense. Really strong words, uh, especially the destroyed and going house to house. Can you imagine what that was like? So I want to talk this morning about the reality of persecution, and I want to give you some thoughts about it. And then we're actually going to spend some time praying for the persecuted church. So if you're new and visiting, this Sunday is going to be a little unusual. So uh, if you, it's like your first time, this is not quite totally normal. But I think first service, it seemed like I think it was a really significant time. Here's a continuum on, the persecu- on persecution, the persecuted of the church. You've got people who are, have this occasional low-level resistance, um, really, which is us, I think. You, you might be teased, brushed off. Some people might have negativism, tor- negativism towards you. You might know a person or two who kind of looks at you like you're repugnant for your belief. You know, we might get shunned a little bit, pushed aside, get some funny looks or the cold shoulder. I mean, that's really where we are in America. That's the most... You know, some of us have faced other things, but not probably not a whole lot, much more than that. And then when you move over in the continuum, you get to those who are facing strong, ongoing opposition, where it's a continual thing, and it is strong. And then eventually unrelenting hostility and persecution. And in those two categories on the side, which is really most of the believers in the world live under those two kinds of conditions, where you've got very open mistreatment, you've got continual open scorn, where people maybe have to flee a city or a region because of their faith, they're ostracized from their family, kicked out of their family, and some cultures, if you become a Christian, the older brother will hunt you down and kill you because of that change of faith. You likely could lose your work or even purely the ability to work in a community where you're at if you believe in Jesus. You could have your home confiscated, property, you might just disappear and nobody knows where you went to. Arrests are common, torture and beatings may end up in prison camp, and people in those places are put to death. And as you can see, we live in a culture we don't deal with that at all, and for that I am thankful of the country that we live in, um, the place where God has me. Western Europe has moved a little further this way, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that in just a second from where we are. They, they're starting to make some laws about what you can say. But George, let me say this, George Orwell said, the further society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those who speak the truth. And, I mean, that's true. And we live in a post-Christian culture now. I've talked about that. A shift has happened. Christianity is not the dominant main mode of thought in our culture anymore. I don't know if you read recently, but for the first time in 
a couple of hundred years, more people don't go to church than do go to church. Less than 50% of people are affiliated or ever go to church anymore. So we've crossed an important threshold. So that whole, that whole train of post being, America being post-Christian, that thing has left the station. It's the reality of where we are. And as our society secularizes, we can expect greater levels, and we're probably going to start shifting more into Western, where Western Europe is. But still, we really find ourselves over here. But what I want to do is I want to take a few minutes and share with you six things I learned about persecution from Acts and John. Um, for whatever reason, maybe it's because persecution was on my mind. I knew that I, I was going to do that when we got to this part of Acts. But as I read through John 14, 15, 16, which is called the Upper Room Discourse, Jesus talked about persecution quite a lot to his followers before his death. It really caught my attention. And so I want to share some things that I, get, I glean from John and also from Acts about persecution. So the first one is this. The persecution in some form, it is inevitable. It's inevitable. In John 16, 32 and 33, Jesus says, uh, do you now believe? And Jesus replied, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. In this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. In John 15, 20, Jesus said, remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And then in John 16, 1 to 4, Jesus said, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They, notice all the wills and the winds in this. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I warned you about them. So persecution, opposition, resistance, it's a given. If you follow Jesus, it's inevitable in some form or the other. Jesus faced initially resistance, and then as time went, he started facing opposition, and then, then eventually outright persecution, you could say. And we're seeing that pattern in the early church. And the history of God's church has always been that way. Resistance, opposition, persecution. We're in a period of resistance. Who knows? We might start moving into a period of opposition in our culture. But it is just part of the package. They persecuted Jesus. And they persecute his church, which takes me to number two, that persecution is rarely about us. It is rarely about us. In John 15, 18 to 21, Jesus said this, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me, what? First, it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, because of my name. So anytime you face resistance, opposition, or anything, there was, I had an instance that happened a few weeks ago. I was in a coffee shop, and it was pretty minor, but it was very obvious that this little thing I said offended them wasn't huge, but, you know, just that reminder that it's not personal, that wasn't about me. What that was about was actually Jesus. It was about Jesus, that ultimately he is the one that they hate. It is his way that people don't like. Um, so it's not about me. It's about him. Any resistance, opposition we get, it's not about you. Again, it's about him. 
And when resistance, when opposition, when persecution comes, here's the next thing I learned from the scripture, that people will be convinced they're doing the right thing, that they're convinced they're doing the right thing. In John 16, 1 to 2, Jesus said, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. Um, we're going to hear in a minute from at least one person that, uh, that, yeah, the persecution that happens in their culture is because um, they think that they're serving God. That isn't that way in America. We're a pretty secular society, right? Becoming more and more so. Our culture has been sold on a very secular vision of life and what the good life is. And in growing, in an increasing fashion in people's minds, the way Jesus and the way of Jesus is antithetical to the direction our culture is going. And so there is this increasing sense that people who don't like what we do or who will speak against people who follow Jesus, it's because what they think they're doing, they're not, they're not doing this in service to God. They think they're doing this in service to the society, that they think that we are kind of those, you know, it used to be that the Christians were kind of the, oh, those old bygone, people from the bygone area. I mean, there's Garen, yeah, he kind of is from that old bygone area. Those people kind of worship Jesus, but they're okay, we'll just leave them alone. That it's become in our society that the, way our, the things our society is promoting is they're saying those people and the things they say and the things they believe are actually keeping us from moving where we need to go, right? And so, so the persecution, the opposition that we may face in the future it's going to be because they're, think, they're going to believe that they're doing it in service of their society, of the society. Uh, we may not agree, but that's what people think. Fourth thing, persecution is used of God to spread the good news. Persecution is used of God to spread the good news. So we're back in Acts chapter 8. Um, and I'm actually adding a verse to this. And then we're going to flip over to Acts 11 if you have your finger there. So in Acts 8, 1 to 4, it says that Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. It's a really important word in Acts, scattered. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. He was going from house to house, and he dragged off both men and women, and he put them in prison. And those who had been scattered, listen to this, they preached the word wherever they went. They preached the word wherever they went, because persecution something people are using to destroy Jesus and those who follow him. God actually uses it to spread the good news. Totally counterintuitive. Um, an Amish pastor once said that prosperity is often fatal to Christianity, but persecution is never fatal. It's never fatal. I just talked this week to a student, since we're talking about this, that there are some students who became followers of Jesus in Emporia, Kansas, through this church. And there's a large country in Asia that they've returned to. And many of them got involved in the church in that country. And that leader, since about a year and a half ago, when he declared himself leader for life, has been tightening the screws on the church. And in cities where the church was pretty open to meet, that's changed. And we know, so we talk with several believers who they have had to quit meeting in their larger church, and they're small. And I talked to one lady just Friday who's in a large city on the West Coast that has a lot of Western influence. And so that government has kind of left them alone because of all the Westerners there. But that has now changed. They cannot meet in a big group. And they've had to go small, and they've had to go underground because of the pressure from the government. But here's what she said to me. She said, it's not been easy, but we have grown in our dependence upon God, and we are much stronger than we are, and we are actually growing because of it. Isn't that amazing? 
that they're actually growing because of it. In Acts 11, uh, we see kind of the same thing. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, spreading the word, but only among the Jews. You know, come on, guys, do you get it? It's not meant just for the Jews. But some of them, though, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, they went to Antioch and they began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So because of this persecution that breaks out, the church actually gets spread out. It becomes stronger, and the good news of Jesus spreads. It's kind of like the lodgepole pine tree in California. Um, lodgepole pine trees are really unique in that they're pine cones. I mean, look at that pine cone. That thing is solid. The resin that holds it together is so strong that nothing can break that open for the seeds to propagate. The only thing that will help that tree to propagate is if a forest fire comes through and destroys the forest and destroys those trees. And in that intense heat, the pine cones drop, the heat melts the resin, and the seeds are able to spread. So the lodgepole pine can only reproduce in the midst of heat. And I feel like that that's what the church is. That's kind of, God knows that, that when, his, when persecution comes to his people, that that actually is a good thing because it melts some of the junk and the resin and it helps us become stronger and spread the good news. Two final thoughts on persecution. If we ever find ourselves, okay, we're in this resistance. If we ever find ourselves over here, and we might, I don't know, I'm not a prophet, but if we find ourselves over there, two final things. The number one, we are never alone, even in persecution. That's good. Good news. Jesus in 1632 said, a time is coming, and in fact has come when you'll be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. So it doesn't matter whatever happens to you, any kind of persecution we may face, we are never alone. We serve the God who promises in Hebrews 13 that I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And the Jesus who sent us to all nations in Matthew 28 says, I am with you till the end of the age. So God promises his presence. We're never alone. And then finally, number six, Jesus will overcome. He will triumph over all. Again, John 16, Jesus replied, a time is coming and in fact has come when you'll be scattered each to your own home. You'll leave me all alone, yet I'm not alone for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace, so that we can have peace in persecution. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Okay, And even in the midst of persecution, here's the promise of Jesus that what we know is he will in the end be victorious, that he will win, that at the end he will be vindicated, he will stand as Lord of lords and as King of kings. Isn't that awesome to know that? That we, we are with the victor and that one day he will raise us from the dead, we will live with him and reign with him forever on new creation, that that is his promise. And it's because I think of those last two, that promise that God is always with us and that Jesus will be victorious in the end is why in, in Acts 5 that we read that when Peter and John were beaten by the Sanhedrin, that it says when they left that beating, they were rejoicing because they had the honor to bear the name of Jesus because they knew that no matter what, that it was about him and that he was with them and that he would be victorious in the end. So may we stand with that kind of, that kind of hope. All right, with all that in mind, I want to quote David Neff. He was the former editor of Christianity Today, and here's what he said. Most American Christians do not lead typical Christian lives. The typical Christian lives in a developing country, speaks a non-European language, and exists under the threat of persecution, of murder, imprisonment, 
torture or rape. So today, we want to, we want to conclude this service this time um, thinking about the persecuted church around the globe. Here's a map of the top 50 countries that persecute believers. There are more than that, but that's just the top 50. In those top 50 are 340 million Christians, 340, okay, living in places with high levels of persecution. That's one in eight Christians worldwide, just in those 50. And our knowledge is limited, but what we know of is we know of at least 4,761 who were killed for their faith last year. That's 13 a day. We know, there's more that we don't know of, but 4,488 believers who are arrested, detained without trial, sentenced or imprisoned. And we know of 4,277 churches and other Christian buildings that were attacked. And that's just in the top 50. That's not even talking about other countries that do persecution. In sub-Saharan Africa in 2020, there was a three-fold increase in the number of Christians that were killed. We support uh, Mary Hendershot, right? She just came from Burkina Faso, and that's one of those countries where that was going on, sub-Saharan Africa. We live in a country where we are free to gather and practice our faith, totally free. With no threat, I have no threat of strong, ongoing opposition. I get some stuff sometimes, but not much. No threat of strong, going opposition to this point. Absolutely, we do not experience unrelenting hostility and persecution. And for that, we should give thanks, okay? And that's why we celebrate the 4th. And I want to tell you, celebrate it with gusto. The place we live, I'm so thankful it's, it's from God. So go home, fire up the grills, you know, make the homemade ice cream, do the, uh, the okay, we were just talking with the Dodies. What's the things called again? The uh, uh, funnel cakes. Make the homemade funnel cakes. You can get it at Aldi's. I just found out about this, okay? Do your fireworks. Um, let us celebrate and be grateful for the freedom that we have. But here is my call this morning. Let us also be aware of and remember our persecuted brothers and sisters who are all around the world. Let's just don't focus on us, but let's also be aware of them. In Romans 12, 15, Paul says this, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. In 1 Corinthians, speaking of the body, he says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized, we were all immersed by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part but of many, and its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. The call of scripture that we are willing to mourn and to suffer with those our brothers and sisters who mourn and suffer. This really hit home to me um, personally when I was at seminary. We had come into our chapel speak Joseph Tone from Romania. He had just been exiled from his country after over a decade of not quitting preaching the gospel and of being thrown in prison, being beaten, his wife threatened, his life threatened, his family, being in prison with other believers. And he, they finally got tired of him because he kept, they kept saying, you know, we can kill you. And he said to them, the greatest weapon you have is killing me. The greatest weapon I have is if you kill me, I'm in glory with Jesus and mine's stronger than yours, so go ahead. And they're like, we have no ability to control this guy. So they, they exiled him from the country. And he came and spoke at our seminary and he talked about the perse persecution going on in his country and worldwide. I had no knowledge of any of that. And he said something really significant I never forgot. Is he said every day when we, got, when we would get our meal, like our dirty moldy bread and our water, he said... We knew that in the West, the church in the West, 
that, that God had prospered them. And he said, so we would talk among us prisoners. We would, we would eat that as if we were eating steak to remember the believers and to rejoice with those who rejoice. And he said, we always imagined the believers in America, when they ate their meals and they're having their steak, what they would do is, as they prayed, they would imagine it was moldy bread and just water, and they would pray and remember us. And he said, and then I came to America, and I started speaking at churches, and I realized that virtually nobody even knew about us, much less prayed for us. And that so profoundly impacted me. And since that time, I have had, I've had a heart for God's persecuted church. And so this morning, you guys who are helping me, come on up. We're going we're gonna to take some time and take advantage of our freedom to intercede on behalf of believers who have no freedom. And we're going to pray for the persecuted church. And these guys are going to help me out. We're going to focus on three countries. Um, and we're going to, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take those countries. We're going to just show you a little bit about them, explain the situation on the ground, we're going to share some prayer requests from those countries, and then we are going to take some time as a body to pray. And, I mean, we're literally going to pray. If you're here alone or you're an introvert and you're like, I just want to pray by myself, you're free to do that. If you're here and you're like sitting by yourself and you're like, I know those people over there, I think I'll go sit with them to pray, feel free to do that. But again, if you just would rather pray by yourself quietly, that's fine. If you're an extreme introvert, no, you don't have to pray with your spouse. You can just pray by yourself. Um, but we do want to take a minute and hear about some of what's going on in the world with some believers. So can I say a prayer? I will say a prayer. Bob, I'm going to say a prayer. <laughs> Father, thank you for our nation. I thank you for the place that you have put me and put us. I thank you for the freedom we have to gather. That we never worry about people coming in here and breaking us up or taking our names down. But Lord, we also want to remember those who don't, who don't live in that kind of place, so we now turn our attention to our persecutor brothers and sisters all over the world. And we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, we're going to start with North Korea. This is Jiwon, who is from South Korea. The population of North Korea is 25 million. There are approximately 400,000 Christians in North Korea. That is 0.015% of the population. The primary religion is atheism. The persecution type is communist oppression. And the persecution level is extreme. In fact, North Korea has been at the top of the list of countries with, with the highest level of Christian persecution for 20 years running now. What does persecution look like in North Korea? What is, what is life like for Christians? Being discovered as a Christian is a likely death sentence in North Korea. If you aren't killed instantly, you will be taken to a labor camp as a political criminal. These inhumane prisons have horrific conditions and few believers uh, make it out alive. Everyone in your family will share the same punishment Kim Jong-un is reported to have ex expanded the system of prison camps in which an estimated 50 to 70,000 Christians are currently imprisoned. Most Christians are unable to meet with other believers and have to keep their faith entirely hidden. There are even stories of husbands and wives not knowing for many years that their spouse was also a Christian. Secret police carry out raids to identify Christians and children are in encouraged to tell their teachers 
um, about any signs of faith in their parents' home. A Christian is never safe. So you can pray three things for North Korea. One, pray for North Korea's secret deliverers that uh, God will continue to strengthen them, provide for their needs and keep them safe. Two, pray for believers who are imprisoned. Pray for comfort and strength for them and that even in prison they would know God's presence and love. Pray that they would be able to influence their captors for the gospel. Three, ask that God would bless the work of uh, secret networks in China and give wisdom and discernment to those providing vital aid and fellowship to North Korean believers who are able to make it to Chinese safe, safe houses safely and then usually onto South Korea. Yeah, and before we pray, he and I were just talking last night that they go out, they cross the river, which is dangerous, and if they get into China, they're safe houses, but they have to be taken. I mean, if you think of the old, um, gosh, the slaves used to have to come out north. What was that called? The um, yeah, the Underground Railroad. There's like an Underground Railroad in China. They have to go all the way through China, down into Southeast Asia, into Vietnam, get on a boat. They eventually get taken to South Korea. But if they're stopped or caught at any point on that thousands of mile trek, if they're caught, they are sent back to North Korea where they are immediately executed. Their family is gathered and immediately executed. So we really need to pray for safety as they take that journey. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to take a couple of minutes. And we want you to pray with you know yourself or people around you. And if you're at home online, it's going to be kind of like that moment of the genero- that minute of generosity moment. So we invite you to join us in praying also. So let's, let's take a couple minutes and let's pray together for North Korea.
Lord, hear our prayer. Iran, the population of Iran is 84 million. There are approximately 800,000 Christians in Iran. That is 0.01% of the population. The primary religion is Islam. The persecution type is both Islamic oppression uh, and the persecution level is extreme. What does persecution look like in Iran? What is life like for Christians? Christians from a Muslim background are persecuted the most, primarily by the government, but also by their families and communities. Secret churches are often raided, and their leaders and members have been arrested and given long prison sentences. Many Iranians are nominal Muslims, and so some new Christians find acceptance from their families. Converts from stricter Muslim families face more persecution at home. Christians from Armenian and Assyrian communities are recognized and protected by the state, but still treated as second-class citizens. They are not allowed to tell others about Jesus or speak in Persian during their church services. You can pray th three things for Iran. One, pray for believers in isolation. Many Christians don't dare to share their faith with anyone around them or don't know any other believers. Two, pray for Christians who are currently locked up in prison for their faith. The conditions in Iran's prisons are very poor. Pray that they would be able to influence their captors for the gospel. Three, pray for those who advocate for the rights of Christians in Iran, both within and outside the country, that they would be listened to and that God would protect them.
Lord, hear our prayer. Um, Kazakhstan. The population of Kazakhstan is 19 million people. Approximately 5 million people are Christians. It's 0.26% uh, of the entire population. The primary religion is Islam. The persecution type is both dictatorial paranoia and Islamic oppression. And the persecution level is very high. Persecution in Kazakhstan hasn't changed much over the years. Legislation dating back to September 2011 restricts the ability to worship freely. Kazakhstan's government has steadily increased its control over religious expression in the country, which means increased surveillance, raised in church, and even arrests. Russian Orthodox churches experience the fewer problems from the government because they usually do not attempt to evangelize the Kazakh population. It is the Kazakh Christians from a Muslim background who bear the worst persecution, both at the hands of the state and their own families. Some converts locked up by their families for long periods, beaten, and may eventually be expelled from their communities. In short, pressure is high for Christians across the board. Muslim families, friends, and their own community put pressure on the converts while the government imposes many restrictions on functioning of Christian churches of all denominations and backgrounds. And you may or may not know it, but Komira is from Kazakhstan. I um, became a believer there, and so she knows this firsthand. Uh, I was born and raised in Kazakhstan. I moved here about 10 years ago. Um, at first met a Christian person uh, in my freshman year in college and accepted Christ as my savior. savior. Um, at that point, I realized that my family did not feel the excitement I felt. M my uh, mother would take the Bibles and other literature away from me and just hide it. Um, she would watch closely what I was listening, what I was reading, who were my friends. My father would lock up the doors of the house on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights just to make sure that I do not leave the house to go and meet my friends at the church. They, um, they considered me joining the cult. They thought it was shameful. They called me a betrayer of the faith. Uh, I was a traitor in their eyes. And uh, I, I know it's not coming from a place of hate. I believe my parents did not hate me, but I know just like Garen mentioned in the sermon that it was, um, it wasn't really about me. They just did not know who Jesus is. They still do not know. Um, if we're talking about like uh, governmental level, my church would also um, experience raids uh, from governmental officials who would come and try to uh, get us registered. They just wanted our information of who the people were coming to the church. They wanted our addresses, information, and contact information just to surveillance and watch over us, which is really scary because once they know your information, uh, there's a very high opportunity for you to end up in prison. Yeah. So how can we pray for Kazakh um, believers? Three ways that we can pray for Kazakhstan. Pray for Christians and particularly for church leaders in Kazakhstan who endure government suspicion and interference in their lives and faith. Pray that church leaders who are detained would be set free. Pray for converts from Islam, that they would be protected from oppression and discrimination from their family, friends, and community. And pray God would work through the hearts of our leaders in Kazakhstan. The country has been a single-party government for decades. The control is really tight. 
asked that God would make known the truth of his kingdom to the government of Kazakhstan. Let's take a couple minutes and pray for believers in Kazakhstan. Lord, hear our prayer. Remember, one out of eight of our brothers and sisters globally suffer from extreme persecution. On each of the chairs is a card that represents another nation where persecution um, is high of believers there. For those of you online at home, if you get on the church app, homepage, you can see a tab at the, uh, at the bottom. Click on that, and the option at the top is to view a card related to Nigeria. Wherever you are, take a minute to read the information on that card. Or if you don't have the app, go to the church's website and click on the persecuted church banner at the top to access that card. Take a minute to read over the card that's at your seat, um, the situation on the ground there, and then we'll pray for those people.
On the back of your card are some ways you can pray for the persecuted believers around the world. Let's take a couple of minutes to pray for the believers in the country on your card. Again, you can do this alone or in the same small group of people. God, hear our prayer. We're going to end in a minute with worship, um, but just two things. So have a great day. Celebrate and enjoy the gift that God has given us. Celebrate the freedoms that we have because God has been good. But let us not forget his persecuted church, okay, because so many of the believers around the world don't even know what it's like to meet as we do. Um, so let's not forget them. To help you with that, we've got a couple of things. One, in the back on your way out, there's going to be a basket. And um, that basket has in it a bracelet that looks like barbed wire, and it represent, it's a reminder to pray for the persecuted church. It's a little tight, but if you stretch it out, it'll work. Um, I encourage you to grab one of those on the way out and wear that, and let that be a daily reminder to you to pray. Also, the card that you have of the country that you just prayed for, we made that specifically to the size that it will fit in your New Testament. So if you're reading with us, stick it in there, let it be a bookmark with the other bookmarks, and regularly pray for believers in that country, and then just let that to be a reminder for you to pray for persecuted believers around the world. 
And then uh, finally, on if you get on the app, on the resources, or on the website under Persecuted Church, take you to a couple of links to Open Doors and Voice of the Martyrs. And there's more resources on one of those. You can actually write a letter to a, a known persecuted believer in prison somewhere that they will t- accept mail. And you can actually write a letter and have it sent to them. Um, there's ways that you can give and there's other things you can do. There's a monthly prayer calendar and open doors that you can just pray daily for the persecuted church. So really encourage us to be a body that cares deeply, not just about us, right? But that we keep in mind the whole Christ's whole church. So would you stand with us and we're going to worship. Can you guys thank these guys for helping out? Can we show them some honor for what they, for them doing that? We want to continue in a very prayerful way with our worship. And this next song that we're going to sing is a simple one. And it says many times over the line, this is how I fight my battles. And that song comes out of 2 Chronicles 20, when a massive army came out against Israel. And they were praying and fasting and asking God what to do. And the king and the people decided what they were going to do is send out worshipers in front of the soldiers. And when they did that, and they began to sing and praise God, all of the armies started to fight each other. And the battle was over before it had even started. And as we're about to read in Acts 16, when Paul and Silas are being persecuted and they're in prison, and they are praying and worshiping God at midnight, it says, and the earthquake came and opened the doors and broke their chains off. And because of that, their, um, the, the jailer became a believer. And so as we, we sing this song, just remember that our weapons that he gives us are prayer and praise and worship. And let's sing in a way that we are standing with the persecuted church, with believers around the world who are in persecution. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how. It may
earth gives way, the mountains move into the sea, the nations rage, I know my God is in control. The oceans roar, you are the Lord of all, the one who calms the wind and waves and makes my heart be still. gives way the mountains move around the world are facing, that you are still in control and the battle is yours, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Twelve, you are sent to remember and be in regular prayer for the persecuted church and believers around the world.